Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Daniel chapter 9, we're going to pick it up again, and I'm going to just read to you uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. We covered that last week, but uh, just to kind of give us a little bit of a level set, a little bit of a context, Daniel 9, verse 24. Can you guys hear me? Or okay, so okay, Daniel nine verse twenty four. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up, uh, to seal up, excuse me, vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And last week we talked about that. The scope of this prophecy is Daniel's people and the holy city. And uh, the complete fulfillment, as we talked about last week, uh, is going to happen for the Jewish people during the millennial reign of Christ. And then we get to verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And so last week we talked about the sevens, the seven weeks. It's translated in our Bible's weeks, but the word literally means sevens. And so the context here is seven weeks of years. And so seven, uh, it says that... uh, there shall be seven weeks, so that would be seven times seven, 49 years. And then 62 weeks of years, which would be seven times 62, or 434 years. You take all that together, the 69 weeks, and you have 483 years. Last week, we also talked about the fact that in the prophecies here, these are 360-day years. You know, we have a 365-day calendar. The, the ancient calendars, when this prophecy was written, uh, they were 360-day years. And so if you were to take up all those years, 483 years, you end up with a number of 173,880 days. Again, we talked about that last week. The trigger for the fulfillment of this prophecy is March 14th, 445 B.C. And that is the date that a guy by the name of Archie, uh, Archie, (laughs) Archie and, you know, Archie and the gang, you remember him. (laughs) I wish the names were that easy. Um, Artaxerxes Longjamanus. He, one of his decrees, I think there was like three or four decrees, his decree was to allow the Jews to rebuild the temple, but also to build the walls of, of Jerusalem and the city. And so um, that happened March 14th, 445 B.C. So that was the trigger for this prophecy for these 69 weeks. The fulfillment came, of course, 173,880 days later on April 6th, uh, 32 AD. We know that as Palm Sunday. That was the trigger when Messiah the Prince would be presented to Israel when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to, he, to God in the highest. And, and uh, they were worshiping the King, Jesus. The prophecy continues, and this is where we're going to pick it up here in verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 
And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So let's kind of break this down. In uh, the first part of verse 26, it says, And after the 62 weeks, uh, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. That word Messiah shall be cut off. It literally means to cut off or to cut down or to make a covenant. It can translate in different ways in the Old Testament. It can also be used for the word destroy, as we'll see here in Judges 20, uh, 4 verse 24. And it says there that they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So it's used there for destroy. That Hebrew word is also used in Jeremiah for kill. And it says there in Jeremiah 11 verse 19, Let us cut them off from the land of the living. So you get the context. To be cut off from the land of the living is to be, to be dead. Um, the con there's another context where it's used. And it's in Exodus 31 verse 14. And the context there is execution. And you'll see that as I read this to you. You shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for, who, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. So the context is execution. So we get a kind of an idea of what this prophecy is saying about Messiah the Prince, that he's going to be cut off, but notice it says, but not for himself. Now, at first blush, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version, the first blush, for me anyways, the way I read that is that he'll not be cut off, but not, excuse me, he will be cut off, but not for anything that he had done. And of course, that's true, right? We know that of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for me, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus was the spotless lamb of God, the 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 faithful, the, the, the holy one who died for our sins. So he would be cut off, but not for himself. So that is true. There's some other translations that translate that a little bit differently. Um, the English Standard Translation says, And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. So that kind of changes it a little bit, our understanding. Well, that's true as well. In Luke 9, verse 58, there was a, a person that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus said to the person, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He literally had nothing. In fact, when he was crucified, even the clothing that he wore was divided up by the Roman soldiers and they cast lots for it. So it's true, he shall literally have nothing. So that could be a good translation as well. It's also true of Jesus Christ politically. After his resurrection, Jesus is walking and there's two of the disciples, they're on their way to Emmaus. 
and Jesus sees them and comes walking alongside them, and he starts talking to them about, hey, why are you guys so down in the mouth? And they start telling him, you know, haven't you heard about what's happened in Jerusalem? Have you been living under a rock? They basically say. So they start talking about Jesus, and in verse uh, 21 of chapter 24, they say, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Messiah is cut off and he'll have nothing. He doesn't have a kingdom. They were disappointed. The disciples before Christ's ascension in Acts 1 verse 6, they said to Jesus, therefore, uh, excuse me, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Everyone was expecting that the Messiah was here. He's going to establish his kingdom just like the prophecy said. And yet this prophecy in Daniel says the king will be cut off and have nothing. Can you imagine how hard that would be for a Jewish person? You know, all through the ages, they're all excited about a Messiah that's coming. That You know, and they're under Roman rule and the, the weight of that oppression and everything. And the Messiah is here finally, as we celebrated this on Christmas. The Messiah is here. And, and now, finally, we can have this kingdom that's been prophesied. And, and yet here it says he'll have nothing. So that would have been disappointing for the disciples. Well, the prophecy continues in verse 26. It says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after Messiah the prince is cut off, as we read in this verse, first verse, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. In other words, there is another prince who is coming after Messiah the prince. He's cut off, but there's another one who's coming. And it says the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. We know from history that in A.D. 70, the Romans destroyed the temple and the city. The Romans under Titus Vespasian, 70 A.D. So the prince who is to come, he's from this people. Well, we know, or I believe anyways, that we're speaking about the Antichrist. And his people are the Romans. Now this seems to indicate, and a lot of people believe this, that the Antichrist is going to, revi uh, going to arise out of a revived Roman Empire. We talked, I think, in chapter 8 about that a little bit. This is the same guy, by the way, in Daniel chapter 8, in that prophecy. It says, In the latter time of their kingdom, verse 23, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. We're talking about the same person, the prince who is to come, and this one who's got sinister schemes. The end of verse 26, it says, The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. So the end of it shall be with a flood. I think it could figuratively indicate coming judgment, as in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. I'll just read it to you. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him but with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. In Nahum chapter 1, it's speaking of judgment in the context of judgment. So this flood seems to indicate there's going to be this judgment, a flood of judgment. And then it says, 
Um, there I have the verse right there for you to look at. I'll, I'll, moment, I'll let you read it for a moment, then we'll go to the next one. <laughs> then the next one is, until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now I put a couple on the screen, a couple translations. Uh, one of them is the literal translation. Well, the top one is the New King James. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. The literal translation of the Bible says this, and ruins are determined, and war shall be until the end. That's a literal translation of the Greek. And then the English Standard Version says this, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. Dr. Henry Morris said this, when Messiah the Prince of Peace was cut off, peace was permanently cut off from the world as well. You know, we're celebrating Christmas, the Prince of Peace. You know, the angels proclaiming goodwill towards men on, on earth, peace. And Jesus was there to proclaim peace. And then he was crucified. And when he crucified and Messiah was cut off, peace has, had left the planet, basically. You know, the, you can have peace with Christ, or peace with God without Christ. And so many people rejected him. And so peace was cut off from the world. And Jesus... In Mark's gospel, in chapter 13, verse 7, he's talking about this time that we're, we're talking about in prophecy. And he says this, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. Well, that's a, that's, we're seeing that fulfilled in our lifetime as well. In fact, I looked it up. In Wikipedia, they list around 40 ongoing conflicts or wars throughout the world that have at least 100 combatants killed or something. So it's you know not just a, two people fighting, but a group, uh, some kind of a battle or a war. Um, there's over 40 of them going on right now as we're, as we're sitting here Sunday uh, throughout the world. But Jesus also said that there'd be rumors of wars. And we think about, you know, if you read the news, uh, China and Taiwan, there's, you know, there's, a, there's just a, they're on the, on the verge of something happening between, you know, China wants Taiwan to become part of the, the mainland and Taiwan, well, Taiwan wants to remain independent from China. And so there's this tension and there's rumors that there's going to be a war. Israel and Iran. There's, there's rumors that Israel's not going to allow Iran to progress pretty much further with their weapons. And Iran's saying, well, if Israel does this, we're going to wipe them off the face of the map. So there's this tension going on there. There's also tension between Russia and Ukraine, one of the former Soviet nations. You know, there's this tension here. There's a rumor of war there. So that's been going on as long as I've been alive. I remember as a young kid, you know, watching, I grew up when the, uh, the Vietnam War was still going, and I remember you'd watch, turn on the evening news, and there'd be, there'd be pictures of how many people were being killed, and all these different battles that were taking place. That's when I was a kid, growing up watching that. Well, let's get to verse 27, and that starts talking about the 70th week, and that's what I really want to focus on today. Verse uh the first part of Daniel 27, verse A, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Who's the he? The he is the prince who is to come, who hasn't come yet, by the way. He's the Antichrist. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. We've already had the seven and 62 weeks in verse 25. 
That equals 69, seven, uh, 7 and 62. And so the total of 69 weeks of years was 483 years, like I said. The years culminated, uh, 483 years culminated on April 6, 32 AD. So according to this prophecy, there's one more week of years that's about to take place or will take place, a seven-year period. And if you were to tag that consecutively on to from 32 AD, that would have been 39 AD. Well, that doesn't fit because we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So it's not talking about right there. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion uh, in interpreting uh, this passage of scripture. A lot of different people that love the Lord, but they look at it different ways. Um, and so there is some confusion. I have a commentator. I don't remember who it is, to be honest with you, but I wrote this down. And I want to read it to you. This is what this person, they're looking at this prophecy about the 70th week of Daniel and the 69 weeks. And, and he says this, he says, six purposes were to be effected within 490 years from a specified date. Last week, we talked about the six purposes, or like nine, I think I had. But anyways, the purposes of what would take place uh, until the 70th week is fulfilled. He says this, some refer these to final Jewish restoration. But then he says, but for this, the last week of the 70 has to be separated from the rest and postponed till the end of the age. He says it's more natural to understand the passage as describing here Christ's finished work. And thus we avoid impairing the definiteness of the prophecy by indefinitely prolonging it. So this person, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at this and they're saying, oh, this must just, we can't take it literally. It's got to it's gotta mean Christ's finished work on the cross because we don't want to indefinitely, you know, have this prophecy out to where it hasn't been fulfilled yet. By the way, that's why you need to be careful reading commentaries, okay? They're not the inspired word of God. These are men or women, whoever is a commentator, who have studied the word. They might love the Lord. They might be right on in a lot of places, but they're not infallible. They can be wrong. Uh, and, and in fact, I'm giving you a commentary right now this morning. I'm not infallible I could be. I know it comes as a shock to you guys. I'm the praying pastor. But you know what? I could be wrong. I can be wrong. And uh, so what you and I all need to do, you can hear what I'm saying. You can read what people are saying. Go to the Word yourself. Be a Berean. Study the Word. Say, well, I'm hearing what Pastor Don's saying, but you know what? I want to I I I know for myself. And that's the healthiest thing to do. Don't rely on commentaries. They're good. I, I go to commentaries and go, you know, what do these people think and stuff. And, you know, sometimes there's a certain group of commentaries that I go to frequently because I trust the people. Um, either I know them or I just I trust their ministry. And, and uh, you know, it seems like almost always they're right on. But there have been times when I've read that and go, man, that's not the way I read it in scriptures. And so I'm like, okay, that's their opinion. May not be right. So anyways... This person, I don't think, is right. This person, I think, has, you know, he's got this worldview of, of the end days, and it, it, this literal prophecy doesn't fulfill it, or doesn't fit into it. So he says, well, it must just be symbolic. That's basically what he's saying. Some people struggle with the gap between that 69th and the 70th week. And they might say, well, there's no precedent in Scripture. This is the only place we read of it. But oh, as I was studying, you know, there's actually a gap in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 9, that's hidden related to the length of their captivity. 
It's 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 under there, and we'll we'll look at it right now. So before I before we dig into it, I want to ask this question rhetorically. You don't have to yell it out, but how long were the children of Israel living in the Promised Land before they went into captivity? Now they're now they're in exile in Babylon. How long were they in Israel? Well, the assumption is 490 years. Because we know that the captivity was 70 years. The Bible says it in Jeremiah. They'll be in captivity in exile for 70 years. For one year for every seventh year, every Sabbath year that they didn't, they didn't observe the Sabbath. And so 70 years times, you know, uh, seven, 490 years. So the right away, well, they must have been in the, in the promised land for 490 years. I've got this. I, I got to give credit to Dr. Thomas Ice. He's the executive director of the Pre-Tribulation Rapture Research Center in Washington. Uh, he has this, and I. And so I'm. I'm not that smart, but I'm going to share it with you. The period of the Israelite kings has been well established, and he says this using scriptures and archaeological discoveries that are datable. In other words, you can go, we have the scriptures, so we can look at the timeline, you know, as the, the length of the kings and stuff, how long they lived and everything. So we have scripture, but we also have archaeological discoveries that have dates on them. And we can look at them and go, oh, and we can correlate them. One of them is called the, uh, the Kirk monolith. And on this monolith, King Ahab is mentioned in the in uh, context of this battle of Karkar, and the date is 853 BC or BCE. So we have this date that's not in the scriptures. We have this date of King Ahab. There's also a black obelisk um, that mentions a tribute of King Jehu, and that date is 841 BC. These are just two examples, but you can take these archaeological things that have dates and you can take them and you can put them next to scripture and you can extrapolate from there the chronology of scriptures. You can extrapolate when King Solomon reigned. You have the date and you also have the date when he began work on the temple. Well, his reign began using all these dates. His reign became, uh, excuse me, his reign began in 971 BC. And he started work on the temple. He started building the temple in 967 BC. So we have this date from when the temple was built. And that's important because I want to read to you 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. So Solomon started building the temple 967 B.C. But according to this verse here, 1 Kings 6, uh, 1, temple, construct, temple construction started 480 years after they came out of Egypt. So if you take do the math, 480 years before 967 B.C. is either roughly 1447 or 1446 B.C. That's the date, based on these archaeological evidence and based on scriptures, when the children of Israel left Egypt. Well, they left Egypt, and we know that they wandered for 40 years, which means that they entered Canaan around 1407 to 1406 B.C. Now, we also know that the Babylon exile, now, that's a, it's kind of fuzzy because 
the, the, the exile of, the, of Israel or Judea, Judah into Babylon, it was kind of like, I think, three different episodes. It was kind of over a, a, like a 10 or 11 year time period. But most people say it was approximately 597 B.C. That was when the children of Israel went into Babylonian exile. So that means, based on these other years I gave you, that means that they were in the promised land for about 800 years before they were exiled to Babylon. And going back to Jeremiah's prophecy, they would be in, in exile one year for every Sabbath year that they did not leave the land, did not let the land rest. So 800 years divided by seven would be 114 years. But they were only in captivity for 70 years. So based on that, we can pretty much accurately say it's not every single Sabbath year that they neglected. There were some that they observed, and then some that they did not. They were only, only uh, excuse me, uh, let me back up. Boy, I've got ahead of myself here. So if you look at that slide, every seven years, they had, were supposed to observe a Sabbath year, and they didn't. And so you can go down through the years, and we don't know exactly which ones, but doing the math, um, only 490 of the of the 800 years, um, only 490 of those 800 years, they didn't observe the Sabbath. So in other words, there's gaps in between there. Um, there's gaps or breaks in the accumulation of the 490 years resulting in the 70-year gap uh, exile. So what that means, I hope I'm not confusing you guys, but what that means is that um, there's a gap. <laughs> and there's a gap likewise here between the 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel when the prince is cut off and when the prince who is to come makes a covenant with many uh, for one week there in verse 27. The gap that's in between that 69th and 70th week, that's the week, that's, that's the gap that we are in right now. It's the church age. Paul even talks about it in Romans 11, verse 25. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now remember this prophecy. We're talking about Daniel's people, the Jews, and Jerusalem. That's the context. That's the application of Daniel's prophecy here. So what's the trigger for the 70th week, when the fullness, according to Paul's uh, uh, Romans 11, the fullness of the Gentiles coming, that's the trigger for when the seven-year, uh, 70th week starts again. Which is kind of interesting when Paul talks about that, when the fullness, of, what does he mean by the fullness of the Gentiles coming in? He's talking about the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of heaven becoming born again, accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Think about that. There's going to be one man or woman or child, one person who's going to be the very last person of this age that's going to say, oh, I, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Talk about a door price, <laughs> you know. That's going to be it. That's, that's when the trigger uh, starts for the 70th week of Daniel. It's almost like the Lord has this stopwatch, and he's been, he's been counting you know, years, and then at the 69th week, or the 490th year, he stops the, the stopwatch. The church age goes on. And then at some point, 
starts the stopwatch again for another seven years. That actually gives, for me anyways, more meaning to what Jesus said when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He said this in Luke 19, verse 41 and 42. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. That one day, remember Jesus said that the, 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 the crowds are worshiping Jesus and the, the, the Pharisees say, teacher, don't tell them, you know, they're thinking that this is about the Messiah. And they're saying, teacher, don't let these people say this. And Jesus said, hey, if they don't, if they don't worship, man, the rocks are going to cry out. The stones are going to cry out. Uh, we talked about that last week as well. But Jesus said this, if you had only known, he's weeping. If you, Jerusalem, had only known that this is your day of visitation, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Just like Paul said in Romans 11, in that day, national blindness happened to Israel. National blindness. There were some people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, of course, but we're speaking nationally as a nation. At that day, Palm Sunday, when they did not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, that day, national blindness happened to Israel, and I believe that's when the stopwatch was paused, and the church age started at Pentecost, and it's been going on even to our day today, and when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, click, that stopwatch starts again for the final week of years. You know, it's interesting, the church was a mystery in the Old Testament, but it was a mystery that was hidden in plain sight. One of the glimpses we have of the church, I believe, is in Leviticus chapter 23 in the Feast of Weeks, which was the, we know it as the Feast of Pentecost. Um, in that, they were to take two loaves of wheat bread, they were to make it with leaven, and they were to wave it before the Lord. Now, what's interesting about that is if you go to all the other feasts, all their bread, all their loaves of bread was supposed to be unleavened. Because leaven was a picture of sin. But at this one feast, the Feast of Weeks, they're to wave bread that has leaven in it, uh, you know, risen bread. Why would they do that? Well, I think it because Pentecost, and that's what the Feast of Weeks is, Pentecost points, or Pentecost, that first Pentecost after Jesus rose from the dead, that's the Pentecost, that's, the, that's when the church was born. And I think it points perfectly to the to the to what's happening, what's taking place in the church age. The church age is made up of two loaves: Jews that come to faith in Christ and Gentiles that come to faith in Christ. And all of us are sinners saved by grace. And I think that the two loaves of leavened bread just what a beautiful picture of that. That's kind of hidden in the Old Testament, hidden in plain sight. But there are some places that are it's not so. Uh, it's hidden, it's kind of out in the open. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, verse 6, the second half. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. This is the time that we're living in right now. Well, what happens during that 70th week. Again, Daniel's prophecy, the scope of it is Israel, the Jewish people. 
What happens in that 70th week? You women are studying the book of Revelation, those of you that are part of the women's Bible study. A good chunk of that Bible, of, of that book of Revelation is focused on that 70th week. A good, a good chunk of it is focused on what occurs during that seven-year period, not only with Israel, but with the Christ-rejecting world as well. It says there, he shall confirm, uh, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And I want to read back to you in Daniel chapter 8, verse 23. It says, In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. This guy's going to be sharp. He's going to be sharp. He's going to be calculating. He's going to be manipulative. He's going to be political. Verse 24 of chapter 8 says, His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of, peace, uh, prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. What is this covenant that this prince who is to come will make? Well, it's going to be a treaty with the nation of Israel and their surrounding nations around Israel, the Middle East. It's going to be a covenant to rebuild the temple. The Jewish, uh, the uh, Temple Institute in Israel, man, they in Jerusalem actually, they are waiting. They've got, they're getting everything ready for temple worship. They just need the temple. And this guy's going to come on the scene, and he's going to negotiate. He's going to he's going to wheel and deal, and and there's going to be allowed to build a temple on the somewhere on the temple mound. And you know it's interesting. The Jewish people they're going to accept this person as their Messiah. One of the beliefs of a lot of Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, is that when the Messiah comes, that what they believe when the Messiah comes, he's going to rebuild the temple. And so here you have this guy who's going to come on the scene and he's going, to, he's going to make it possible for Israel to have a temple once more. People are going to look to him and go, that's him. He's the Messiah. They're going to be deceived. Antichrist is going to fit the bill. And there's going to be what seems to be peace in the Middle East. Isn't that, you know, if you've, if you've listened to, if you've been as long as, alive as long as I have or longer, or, you know, you guys know how many times when a presidential candidate's coming on the scene, what do they say? We're going to bring, bring peace to the Middle East. I mean, that's been a goal of, I don't know how many administrations, peace in the Middle East. And it's not going to happen, of course, until the Prince of Peace comes. But there's going to be this false peace during this 70th week. The second half of verse 27 says, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So in the middle of this seven-year period, he's going to break that treaty. He's going to actually stand in there and want to be worshipped. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But there's a big question and some people struggle. Some people are like, I don't really understand. And the question is this, where's the church? Where is the church? Well, you remember we talked about it in chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
these these faithful Jewish men that would not worship, they wouldn't bow down to the to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and so they were cast into the fiery furnace. And of course, the Lord appeared with them, and they were miraculously spared, and they came out and stuff. The whole question during that is, where was Daniel? Where was Daniel? He was a godly man. Where where was he? And of course, we talked about the fact that he was he might have been out of town doing you know political stuff for for the government or whatever. He was in the government, the the Babylonian government, but scripturally, he's not there. And there's a reason why, and I think it's I think this is a picture of the church not being there during the fiery furnace of the great tribulation. So when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, there's two things that are going to take place. The very first thing, it's first Thessalonians four, sixteen through eighteen, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive shall remain uh, excuse me, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That word caught up, it means to snatch or to take away. It's the Greek word harpazo or harpazo. The Latin is rapturo. It's where we get the term rapture. Some people say the rapture's not in the Bible. That's true, but harpazo is, and this is the Latin translation of the Greek. Harpazo. There's also a picture, I think, in the story of Lot when he was uh, left Sodom. Uh, the angels, remember, they came to him and they're trying to tell Lot to 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 leave, and Lot's kind of dawdling. You know, he's kind of a procrastinator. And he's kind of hanging out there. The angels grab them by their hands and say, "Hurry, we got to get you out of here because the wrath can't come down until you're gone." And so they hurry him out of the city. That, I think that's a, a picture, an Old Testament picture of, of what we're talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So that's the first thing, I believe. The church is raptured. The second thing is that stopwatch starts ticking again. And the 70th week for Daniel's pe- people and the Jews begins. So God's going to start working with the people, the nation of Israel. That is the Great Tribulation, a seven-year period. First half, by the way, is probably going to seem good. I mean, think about it. You know, all these programs and plans that these godless governments want to do, there's going to be no more of those pesky fundamentalist Christians anymore. You know, we can finally, there's nobody standing in our way, we can finally do all these things we want to do because we'll be gone. It'll seem good. But in the middle of that period, Antichrist is going to break his covenant He's going to stand in the temple and demand that he's worshipped. And can you imagine being a Jewish person? You've been thinking, man, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. He says some weird things, but man, I tell you, he's, he's, he's the guy, you know. He looks presidential or whatever. He looks Messiah. <laughs> you know, and, and then all of a sudden, he stands there and says, I'm God. People, it's, it's, I, the scale is going to be lifted off of the Jewish people's eyes, and they're going to realize that they've been deceived. Jesus talks about this time in Matthew chapter 24. He actually refers back to Daniel's prophecy here. And I'm going to read it to you, verse 15 of Matthew chapter 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop 
not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who was in the field go back and get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. What's fascinating about this prophecy that Jesus is speaking, he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When you see this abomination of desolation standing in the temple where he ought not to be, those of you that are in Jerusalem, those of you in Judea, flee to the mountains. And then he says, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, if you were a Gentile living during this time, that wouldn't have such a great impact on a Gentile living in another land. In other words, man, I'm not in Judea, I'm in New Jersey, man. How does that affect me? The Sabbath, what's a Sabbath? You know, it wouldn't affect you. But if you're in Jerusalem... And the Antichrist is going to pour out his wrath, and it says he will. He's going to pour out his wrath on on Israel. And you're 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 fleeing, and then all you know you try to leave, and it happens on a Sabbath. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, when the Sabbath hits, <laughs> everything shuts down, man. Mass transit shuts down. Elevators, you, you know, they you don't have they have that they have a Sabbath thing where the elevator just goes to different floors on its own, so you don't have to work to push the button, and so. Trying to leave on a Sabbath is like, forget it. Good luck. That's why Jesus says, pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. So all of these things, he's speaking in the context of Israel. That's why I believe, that reinforces what I believe, that the church won't be there during this time. We will be in heaven with a balcony view. The end of that prophecy in Matthew 24, Jesus says this, And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's, uh, elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And the people go, wait a minute, wait a minute. The elect, that's the church. Then the, you can go through the New Testament and read about the elect. That's the church. Well, is it the church or is it Israel? Well, there's a few places in the Old Testament where Israel, the Jewish people, are called God's elect. One place, Isaiah 45, verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. Isaiah 65, verse 9. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah and heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it. This is speaking about the nation of Israel. So the Lord says, but for the elect's sake, and I believe he's speaking of the nation of Israel, those days will be shortened for their sake. I want to give you just a little glimpse into my mind, which is kind of a scary thing. But I was thinking about this, you know, and you don't typically hear people talk about that. But I mentioned at the beginning, and I've mentioned it a couple weeks now, that these prophecies are based on 360-day years. And so uh, if, if, and I have to be, you know, consistent in my, in my interpretation. So if those 69 weeks are 360-day years, then that seventh week also has to be 360-day years. It can't all of a sudden be 365 because, I mean, then it's like, well, wait a minute. It's either one or the other. Make up your mind, right? It's got to be 360 days. Uh, so, in other words, there's going to be seven 360-day years and not seven 365-day years. I've never thought of that before. Um, what that means is there's going to be seven times five because we've taken five days off of each year. So 35 days 
that time is going to be shorter than if you looked on a on a calendar and say you know count seven years and go well that's it why it's like okay 35 days what's the big deal if you're living in the during the tribulation 35 days is going to it's like 35 days less is like mercy god's mercy it's going to be shortened and so it's it is a big deal if you're living there during the tribulation Jeremiah said this about that time. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. It's going to be a difficult time. There are going to be many Jewish people that will die during that tribulation, but there's going to be a, rem a remnant that's going to be saved out of it. You know, when I think about this and it's like, okay, we're reading about this and, um, you know, we're looking at the prophecies and stuff and, well, how does it apply to me? Well, one of the first things is we see God is faithful to Abraham. Remember, Abraham didn't have any children. His wife was barren and, and he says, and Abraham was old and he says, look out at the stars, Abraham. If you can count all those stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And at that point, he didn't even have a son. God was faithful to his promise the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. There's as many as the stars in heaven. That proves that God was faithful to Abraham and to his promise and his covenant with Abraham. That also proves that God is faithful to Israel. And from 2,000 years of non-existence, they come back into the land. They've got their culture. They've got their religion. They've got their customs. They've got their language. They even have shekels, their coins. I mean, they have all this stuff miraculously. You can't say that of any other, any other people group, that they came back after 2,000 years as a nation with everything intact. But Israel is. They are a miracle. And so God has been faithful to Israel. And if he's been faithful to Israel and he's faithful to his promises, God will be faithful to his promise to you and I as well. So that should be an encouragement for us. The next thing that I think is important is that nothing prophetically is standing in the way for Christ's return for his bride, the church. There's nothing we can say, well, you know, we, we have to wait until this is fulfilled, and once that happens, then he's going to come for the church. There's nothing that's waiting for Christ to return from his, for his church. In fact, Jesus said this, Mark 13, verse 32, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And because nobody knows, he says, Take heed and watch and pray. For you do not know when that time is. It could happen today. Just as like we were singing our worship song. It could be today. You're like, man, I hope it's right now so I can, don't have to listen to you anymore. <laughs> That's what I think anyways. <laughs> I don't like listening to me. So that leaves the last application, and that's this. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christ's return? Well, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, he has to be your Lord and Savior. You have to be a member of that kingdom of heaven. And you think about that. Could you imagine if you're a non-Jewish person here and you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you could be the last person. You're the one that's holding all of us up from heaven. You know, it's like, come on, <laughs> accept Christ. All right, hey, let's pray.